There was a little bit of a break in recording. Micah and I are back at home now. So this is going to be either the second or the third segment. I haven't figured out how it's all going to be edited together. But joining me now is Micah in Portland, Maine. And we want to talk about the rest of the journey home. Yes, we have the Maine man coming from his natural habitat now. And uh yeah, we, you know, uh, the, the last night of the journey, which was, uh, or the last day of the journey, we traveled together from uh, uh, Oxfordshire to uh, to London, and uh, it was a nice drive. Uh, we got to drive by Windsor Castle and, and take a couple of photos of ourselves, which was really great. Got into the hotel where, as we knew they would, our reservation was fouled up, uh, <laughs> thanks to the Radisson, because they moved us from the Radisson Blue to the Radisson Red based on uh, COVID restrictions. But they took care of it, and they got us into our rooms, and, uh, and the rooms were nice, and uh, and we went out to dinner, returned the car, rental car, went out to dinner. Had a oh, wait, uh, I'm sorry, Micah, the adventure of the rental car returned. You have to talk about that. Well, I wasn't driving. It was more of an adventure <laughs> for you. <laughs> Dude, yeah, driving on the wrong side of the road. That was fun. Shifting with the wrong hand. Uh-huh. But then trying to find the rental car facility, we end up finding the airport parking garage. And in order to go through the parking garage, you have to pay. There's no free time whatsoever. No, it was uh, it was very difficult. And, and it all, you know, we were together for, for quite some time and there were no signs to direct us to the rental car. We're using our, uh, our, our map on our phone. It's telling us where to turn, but not in time. We missed the turns. We ended up in the parking garage and it was the only time in all the time we were together that either one of us got a little flustered. It, it was it was not a comfortable experience for either one of us. And, it was just uh, so frustrating. We pulled into the lot. We pulled out of the lot. Eight pounds later, we made it to the... <laughs> yes, we, it was a very it. expensive left turn. Yes, it was. But it's okay. Those things happen. But we, uh, we, we returned the car, took an Uber back to the hotel, figured out where we were going to go for dinner, went out for Indian food. Again, took Uber back and forth, went back to the hotel. You had an early flight to catch. Mine was much later in the afternoon. And I started taking care of checking in. And how'd that go? That was an interesting experience. In fact, I, I'm writing a piece right now for the airplane geeks. It's titled, Love to Fly, Hate the Flying. Um, it's, <laughs> Perfect. The, the experience with United was very difficult. And, and what I've, I've found in general is that people on the ground with United, when you're trying to get service, may want to help you. But I think what happens is that United doesn't give them the tools to help or the information they need to help. And let me explain in this last case. In order to get back into the USA at the time we were traveling, it may be over by the time this is published, you had to have a COVID test. It had to be a PCR test to prove that you were negative. Now, being that I had COVID within three months of the time that I was returning, I had a letter from my doctor indicating that I had COVID because I could easily be mistested as I could get a false positive and I could be totally fine, but still test as positive. So I had this letter from my doctor that I uploaded to United and they had it that said that I had had COVID. I had tested positive for it in December. I recovered from it December 15th and that I am good to travel. This was March 1st up until March 15th without being tested. United took that letter and they said, that's fine. We need to have a COVID test. Why do you need to have a COVID test? I don't know. So I went to call United. I was on hold for about four hours and got through to them. Finally, mm -hmm. talked to somebody and who said, you have to have the COVID test. I said to the person I spoke with, now, wait a minute, let me just ask you a question. I have the letter from my doctor indicating that I am, I've had COVID. So if I get a COVID test and I test negative, that's not an issue. You'll let me fly and get on a plane, correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. 
And because I have this letter from my doctor, if I take a COVID test, I can test positive, but you'll still let me get on the plane and fly. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. Why do I need the COVID test? <laughs> Great because question. you have to have a COVID test. That was the answer. You have to have the test. I said, I don't have the test. Talk to a supervisor. The supervisor can't even get in touch with the testing people by talking to them or connecting me to them. He's texting back and forth to them or sending emails. And I'm on the phone with the supervisor for oh, about two and a half hours. In the meantime, I'm fortunate in that I have met the clinical supervisor of my doctor's practice. And I have her back office number. If I didn't, I would not have been able to do anything. But I called her and I said, Pam, I'm calling you from London. I'm five hours ahead of you right now. They insist that I have a COVID test that I don't have the results of. Can you send it to me? And Pam said, no, I can't. I can't <laughs> send it to you. And I said, Pam, you know, it's me. I need it. I can't send it via email. Eventually, I got it. I was able to get it and upload three pages of documents about my experience having COVID right. to United. And then after about another half an hour of reviewing it, they finally approved me to fly, even though it didn't matter how I tested anyway. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, although I think the four hours that you spent on the phone delayed the United agents from talking with me for some of the problems that I had getting home. But we could talk about that in a, in a minute or a future episode. Anyway, other, after that was settled, everything was fine. Hotel room was all right. Few issues in, in, you know, in the bathroom, but it was fine. I uh, got downstairs to take the, uh, the shuttle to the airport, which I think was only five or six pounds. It wasn't so bad. And I'm waiting there for the shuttle in the lobby, got to meet some Etihad flight attendants that I spoke with. And it was just really pl pleasant conversation. Met some Egypt Air flight attendants that I spoke with. Again, very pleasant, nice conversations. And even got to see that Egypt Air aircraft take off from the United Lounge. Anyway, I'm waiting for the bus. The bus didn't show up. About 10 minutes after the bus should have been there, the uh, desk clerk that checked us in the night before and knew I was waiting for it came over to me in the lobby and said, I'm sorry, sir, the bus isn't here. I don't know why it's not here. I called them and there's no answer. I think you better find an alternative way. I can call oh, you. Oh, no. I can call you a taxi. And I said, no, taxi's going to cost too much. I'll, I'll take an Uber. So instead of six pounds, it was 12 pounds. But in the long run, it was much easier. He dropped me right in front of the terminal, checked right in. The check-in process was really simple and quick, not an issue at all. And then I needed wheelchair service in order to get through the rest of the uh, the rest of Heathrow because it's a long walk wherever you're going. Yep, sure is. The wheelchair service in Heathrow is actually much better than what I have found in the USA. They sent me to a waiting area. I checked in there, waited for the chair. Somebody came by with a chair, pleasant conversation with him. He was flying the next day to India, which was where he was from, took me through security. Security was actually easier going through security in the UK than it was with TSA PreCheck in the USA. Very, very simple. A wonderful process. Took me to a second waiting area where I waited for the electric cart. That took me to the United Lounge, not a Polaris Lounge, but a really wonderful United Lounge. I really like the Heathrow Lounge. Ate some lunch, had a Pims and Lemonade. <laughs> Took another shower because I was there so long, which was the first time I experienced that in the lounge. A wonderful system. It was really nice. Watched the Egypt Air aircraft and the crew that I talked to take off. About four o'clock in the afternoon, boarded the 767, introduced myself to the purser, who was delighted to get the chocolates. Really, really thrilled. So it makes up, a difference. does make a difference. Got me up on the flight deck, talked to the pilots, got took another picture, gave them their chocolates. They were thrilled as well. And it was a pleasant flight home up until I got to Newark. Now, I was going to say, what happened once you got to Newark? Well, since we're both from New Jersey, we get to rag on Newark for a little bit. In the USA, this is something that really surprises me. And I don't know if it's in every airport, but it's certainly in Newark. 
I had to go through and claim my bag that was unloaded from the plane, walk around the corner and recheck it in order for it to get home domestically because I was changing planes. It makes no sense. It wasn't checked again. The customs agents didn't go through it. There was nothing, no need for that to happen. I literally took the bag off one rack and brought it around the corner with me in the wheelchair to another rack and put it on the other rack. For the life of me, I can't figure out why that's necessary. I completely agree with you. It's so bizarre. And if any of our listeners know why that happens, please write in because we would love to know the answer. But my uh, global entry worked perfectly. Walked up to the kiosk, had them take my picture, got a ticket, handed the ticket to the gate at the outside. And then the wheelchair took me to the train, to another terminal. <laughs> there was no way I could have made it by myself. Uh, and right. I just am very surprised how while the wheelchair was great, it really put me in a position of being handicapped and how airport terminals are set up to make anybody that may have a minor disability as I do truly feel handicapped and incapable of traveling on their own based on the distance that the way everything is set up in terms of distances. It just did not seem that it was designed for comfort of anyone, let alone someone that has a disability. Yeah, I think moving sidewalks would help a lot in cases like that. Why more airports don't install them, it just confuses me. I can only imagine it's the expense and maintenance of having the moving sidewalk, but it would certainly aid in enabling people to move through these vast distances. Got to the United Club, Polaris Lounge. The restaurant closes at 8. I was there at 7.59 and I could not get in. And not only that, none of the staff would even talk to me. I was standing there trying to say hello and I was totally ignored. The food on the... Uh, yeah, that's New Jersey hospitality for you. Absolutely. I could tell I was in New Jersey. <laughs> the, the food available on the buffet was not particularly appetizing in the United Polaris Lounge in Newark. At this point, I'm exhausted and I'm feeling really dirty. I took another shower, which again, boy, that's, that just really refreshes. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And then waited for my flight to leave. So I'm actually surprised that they let you into the shower with them closing so early. That The club itself was open, I believe, till 11. The restaurant, oh, okay. the sit-down restaurant oh, closed at 8. Interesting. Yeah. Took an A320 from Newark to uh, Portland. Again, gave the purser some chocolates. She was incredibly nice. She brought pre-flight drinks, which the, my flying person sitting next to me said, I thought you don't serve drinks pre-flight anymore. And she said, we're not supposed to, but I do anyway, which was just really, really nice. Yep. Uh, got on the flight deck, talked to the pilots. It was their first time in Portland. So I gave them some tips on where to go eat and where to find some great beers. Nice. And the pilots were actually, they chose to delay our flight. They had the choice to go or not go. They chose to delay because there were a couple of flights coming in late, and this was the last flight to Portland. The decision was left to us. We've decided to wait because we thought that if we were those passengers or if you were those passengers, you would want us to wait for you. It's only going to be a few minutes, folks. Please hang tight. And that's actually one of your concerns in booking that flight at the very beginning was that it was the last flight of the day and you were concerned about missing it. I believe you actually booked a room at Newark just in case you missed the flight. So it's really nice that they held the flight for you. It, well, it wasn't for me, but it was for others. And it was, it was great. It was really wonderful. And in fact, speaking of booking that room, I need to give kudos to the Holiday Inn Express in Elizabeth, New Jersey, because I did speak with the manager when I booked that room. And I told him that I wanted to hold it until the very last minute and not cancel it until that day. He said that would be fine. And sure enough, when I called that day, knowing I was going to make the flight, they said, no problem, sir. Your credit card will not be charged. You're all set. Thank you for booking with us. Nice. How could you ask for more? 
got into Portland late. It was uh, snowing. I was the uh, last one in the airport. The airport in Portland isn't very big, but it's a little too big for me. But I had to make my way down to my car. There was a wheelchair for me, but even the bags were delayed because of the snow. And the person who was handling the wheelchair was also in charge of all the baggage and said he could not take me out of the baggage area until he handled all the missing bags, et cetera, and so on. Again, I understood. I was the last uh. one there. I took a cart, made it to my car, made it home. Everything was great. Other than dealing with United on the ground by trying to get in touch and find answers to questions that aren't available on the website, everything else was just great. And I've got to say that it was fabulous traveling with you and we need to travel together more. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it was definitely fun. One of the questions, I know what the Polaris seats were like on the flight over. Did you notice any difference between the Polaris seats on the 767 versus the 787? I really didn't. I found the Polaris seats on all three of my flights, the 777, which I don't think was technically a Polaris, the 78 or the 76 to be pretty much all the same. I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between what aircraft I was on if you had blindfolded me and just put me in the seat. They were equally as uncomfortable. They were. <laughs> they, they, they were. And what, what's interesting when they talk about the seat width, when they, you look at Seat Guru or whatever, they're talking about the total amount of space given to that seat, not the seat itself, which is... Yeah, not the shoulder width, no. which is, I think, really the important part, or the foot width. I, in other podcasts, I've talked about the little cubby hole that you have to shove your feet into, and it's really small. Yeah. And I think you were to experience that as well. If you're lying down and go to roll over, it's really difficult to turn your feet around in this teeny tiny cubby hole. No, it's very difficult. And also I, I, I'm a big guy. Uh, yes, I'm heavy, but my shoulders, you know, I wear a size 50 jacket and that's a wide shoulder. And it's it's tough to do that in, in those seats. Those seats are no wider than the, the seat you get in the back. And the food service or the food, the service that went along with it, would you say it didn't matter on the aircraft that you were on? It was it was all pretty much equal? It was all the same. I had the, uh, I can't remember what you had on the way over. It was... Uh, not the fish. Yeah, not the fish. Not ribs. Uh, short ribs. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had on the way back. It was the same thing, and it, which was very good. It's really nice to see how the level of service has increased with the United flight staff. I, I found this past year it to be so much better than it was three, four, five years ago. They've really improved the quality of service on board as far as the staff goes. I think there are still shortcomings over the seats and quality, quantity of food and beverage choices, but that's different. Yeah. And and I have to say, you know, I was very fortunate. We met uh, pilots along the way. They were all very, very nice and very accommodating on the flight deck, but the flight attendants, all of them were just really wonderful. And I don't know if I was treated any better because we, you know, we both gave, you know, gave gifts to mm -hmm. them. I don't know if that made it any better or if that's just how they are, but uh, I know they were very, very appreciative of the gifts that, that, that we gave them and very appreciative of the, uh, of the chocolate and uh, just felt that um, they knew that someone cared about their job and, and we do. Yeah, absolutely. You left the hotel a bit earlier than I did and had an adventure. You flew east and headed toward Germany and Austria. Did that go perfectly? Oh, it absolutely did not go perfectly. Ooh. I had to get up early in the morning. Unlike you, the bus was there waiting for me. So I paid my six pounds, got on the bus, flew from London to Frankfurt, changed planes in Frankfurt, flew to Salzburg, Austria, 
and it's a wonderful little airport in Salzburg. I've never been there before, so it was nice getting to walk down some air stairs. I was able to take a few photographs of the airport and the plane and walk into the really cozy terminal building, get a rental car, and drove to the ski resort where I met my German boss, and we had a little bit of a ski adventure. How was the skiing? Is the snow the same as Colorado, or is it more like East Coast wet snow? Oh, it definitely is not East Coast ice. It was not light and fluffy like Utah snow. I've actually never been skiing in Colorado, so I don't know what the snow's like there, but it certainly wasn't California snow either. It was really nice. It was quite pleasant. The slopes were groomed perfectly and had a really wonderful time. It had been probably 10, 12 years since the last time I was skiing. And just like riding a bike, I remembered how to ski. I had a really good time and I impressed my friend with my skiing abilities and it was all good. Now, did he bring a coat for you? Because as I recall, your jacket was <laughs> left on board a, a 787. So did you ever get that back or, uh, or did he bring a jacket for you? Never got it back and had to go to the local store and buy a, a ski jacket. So that was an expensive adventure. And fortunately, I have travel insurance and I've submitted a claim with the travel insurance company. And over the next few days, they're going to let me know if they've approved that as a lost luggage item and will compensate me for the jacket or not. We'll see how that goes. I certainly understand their point if they don't, but I would absolutely love it if they did cover it. I, because again, technically, I don't know if I actually left it or if someone else liked it more than I did and took it out of the overhead bin. I would tend to believe that I actually left it on board, but one never knows. I think we've came down to the fact that I think you dis you helped me with my bag. I think you put your jacket down on your seat, helped me with my bag, and then both of us forgot that you put the jacket down in your seat. and. That's what happened. So I'll take some responsibility. Yeah, I think that's what happened. So you were going to spend, I remember correctly, about a week in, uh, in Germany. How did that week of skiing go? Unfortunately, there was a medical emergency that had to be dealt with. And I had to cut the trip short. And instead of going to Germany and see listener Tillman in Berlin, I had to fly back home to the U.S. Oh, no. Are you okay? Everything's fine. Good. Yeah, so there, there was that issue that had to be dealt with, which unfortunately enabled me to call United a few times and try and change my flight. And what an adventure that was. In hindsight, I think I know why it might have taken a little bit of extra time booking or rebooking my flight. And it's because the war in Ukraine and they closed the airspace. So all the United flights to India were either canceled or rerouted. The passengers had to be rerouted. So they experienced really long on hold times. However, what I find inexcusable over the matter is when you called, they would say that there was a five to 10 minute wait. And two hours later, they still didn't pick up the phone. So when you're trying to make an emergency change to a ticket and no one answers the phone for at minimum two hours, it's really, really frustrating. And when you get through the process of trying to book the flight and then the call drops, you have to start the process all over again and wait another two, two and a half hours on hold for someone to pick up and then explain the story again and rebook the flight. And it was just a disaster. I probably spent, I, I need to total up the hours, but conservatively, I would say I spent 12 hours on hold 
not including the time talking to them to get my flight rearranged. I think that it's very, very kind of you to blame this on the war in Ukraine because, uh, and then that it took time in terms of rerouting people in India, because I found it was absolutely no different in terms of the amount of time and how long they said it was going to hold when I was calling United before the trip, trying to work out some internet inf information. And when I was calling United to try to get home with a COVID test, it makes no difference. You have to start all over. I was disconnected many yeah. times on the calling before the trip to take care of that situation. I was on the phone no less than 30 hours trying to take care of it. And there's no excuse. There is no excuse for any customer service company. And an airline likes to say it's a transportation company, but it's not. It's a customer service company. There's no excuse for a customer service company to offer that kind of customer experience at all. I completely agree with you. Again, the onboard product was fine. The customer service aspect of dealing with getting the ticket changed was absolutely abysmal and appalling. And it was so incredibly frustrating. The other fun part about my routing to get home, I actually had to fly from Salzburg to Copenhagen to Frankfurt. And because it took so long to get me to Frankfurt, I actually had to overnight in Frankfurt and then fly the next day from Frankfurt to Los Angeles. Now, the good news about that is that I was able to fly on a 747-8. Wow. That was, yeah, that was really nice. So it was a Lufthansa flight, and it was the second time that I've been able to fly on a Dash 8. The first time I was fortunate enough to fly in first class, and that was certainly an awful lot of fun. I was sitting on the, the main deck in business class, and there were two things of special note. One of them is there's a single airphone that's there, kind of like the old GT airphones that you could put your credit card in and make international phone calls. So very near the galley, it's sitting on the wall, and that was, that was fun to see. The other thing was the chief purser has a little office. They have a little desk area right by the staircase where you go upstairs to the rest of the business class and go to the flight deck. And I had never seen a purser's office before. Wow. And that was, I thought, really, really special. That's fabulous. That's just amazing. I, I, I am hoping that I have the opportunity someday to uh, fly in a 747-8 before they are completely retired. I've been on a 747 uh, 200 and a 400, and I would really like to fly on a 7478 sometime. I would like to do that more than I would like to fly on an A380, although I would like to experience an A380 as well. Yeah, the other thing that I wanted to, to talk about as far as flying on Lufthansa is how great the flight crew was. They absolutely were fantastic. They looked after every single passenger with such care and diligence and attentive. They were probably one of the best flight crews that I've ever flown with. I had the opportunity to stretch my back a little bit mid-flight and go back to the galley and, and talk with them in between meal services. And again, they were just so polite and hospitable and they... Yeah, love talking about their their job. And for most of the flight crew, it was their first time in Los Angeles. So like you being able to, to help them, I, I made a few suggestions of where they could go in Los Angeles to improve their experience there. And they were very grateful about that. And one of the other things, when I was standing there, I looked out the window, we were flying over Greenland, and it was during the day. And seeing the snow and the ice in Greenland was absolutely amazing. Most of the times when I've flown, it's either been at nighttime or it's been so incredibly cloudy. 
I uh, was never able to see the ground and this time was able to see the ground. It was absolutely spectacular. And at one point I motioned to one of the flight attendants. I said, quick, look out the window and let me know, am I looking at clouds or am I looking at snow? And she stuck her head to the window and looked out and she goes, I honestly don't know. I think it's clouds, but it could be the ground covered in snow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And as it turns out, it was actually snow on the ground, but it was absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Now, did you, uh, I mean, you, you generally give out gifts to all the, the, the cabin crew. Did you mm -hmm. give out gifts to the Lufthansa crew? And I'm curious if you did, how they reacted to it, because it's different from culture to culture. I didn't because, and if the Lufthansa crew is listening to this, I apologize. Because it was a different aircraft, I did not have enough for everyone. Oh. And I felt awkward in giving to just some and not everyone because they had, I believe they said 14 or 17 flight attendants working on the aircraft. And normally on the 787, there's only 10. I brought 12 mm. of the cards and paper clips that I have, and it just felt awkward. So no, unfortunately I didn't. And I, I, I probably should have, or just given them to the group it, that was working in business class, but I didn't. That's okay. Sometimes it happens that way. I had one more United experience two days after I got back. And that was, you know, I purchased internet service, Wi-Fi service while I was uh, on mm -hmm. board. It was, I think it was, $32 from uh, San Francisco to uh, to London, and it was $36 from London to uh, to Newark, but that's okay. I, I don't get it, but that's what it was. And it turns out, had I would have known what these costs were, like I tried to find out ahead of time, I would have bought a monthly pass, which would have been $69, but that's another story. So it was only a few dollars more, and, and that's okay. But on the way back, the internet service was intermittent. Yes, even with my phone in airplane mode, Wi-Fi calling came through and I got a call from my doctor's office, but which I didn't take because I know you're not allowed to talk on the phone while you're in the air, but the Wi-Fi calling did work, but it was intermittent. So I called United because, I'm sorry, $36 for six hours of internet service is a lot of money. Yeah, it's supposed to work. Yeah, it's supposed to work. And I got somebody after being on hold for two hours. And they said, sorry, we can't do anything about that. That's not a United charge. That's a third party charge. And I said, no, I said, that's a United charge. I was charged directly by United through the United app to United. It's a United charge. They said, no, it's not. I said, well, can I speak with your supervisor, please? So I waited on hold for another hour. It's just three hours on the phone, but at $36, it's all right. It's $12 an hour. You know, it's like, I can't live with that. I got the supervisor who said, you know, that's not a United charge. That's a third party charge. I said, no, it's a United charge. I have it in front of me. And she said, does the code begin with 016? And I said, yes, it does. She says, oh, give me the number. And I gave her the number. Oh, I see that charge. Yes, I can refund you. And again, it just shows to go you that the people with United, they may want to help, but they don't even know if they can because they're not given the correct information. They don't have the tools. The ground people for United are not given the tools by United Higher Management to help customers because customer service is not something that United wants to offer. It's a terrible situation. Yeah, and I think the airline's gone through periods where they've handled things better at times than others. And it seems like now, unfortunately, it's on a downswing again, which is unfortunate. It really is. And uh, and, and it's not just the airlines, really. It's, it's my complaint about customer service in general. There's only one place where I've ever found truly satisfactory customer service in the past several months, and that's Amazon. And if they can do it, then others can too. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say Bamba socks or Vermont. Oh, that's right. Shoot, is it tough? Darn tough Vermont socks. I forgot. Yes, Bamba's. I, I, I apologize. Bamba socks, which I, because I wore compression socks while I was flying. Absolutely mm-hmm. fabulous. Their customer service was amazing. And you also had some great luck with Vermont, uh, the Vermont socks company that you told us about. But yeah, the darn tough. But, but yeah, what, what's a shame is that you have to point out this good service. That's the shame part. Yeah, that it's the exception, not the rule. Exactly. But with that, we had a very successful trip to England, had a great time visiting all of our friends there, or making some new friends, seeing some old friends, talking with people about aircraft. It was a wonderful time traveling with you. So look forward to doing it again in the future. I certainly hope that we can. What's next in your agenda for the journey as a reward? My next trip actually starts tomorrow where I am going to Italy and I'm going to meet a very longtime friend of mine, Deborah, who had her and her husband, she's American, her husband's Italian. They have a tour company called Italy Unfiltered. They specialize in taking people around to off the beaten path, olive oil producers and wineries. And so looking forward to getting together with them for about seven days, uh, touring around the the countryside of Siena. And then I'm going to spend three days in Rome where I get to meet up with Jenny from Rome. Oh, that's great. Oh, wonderful. You're going to see her again. What a yes. sweetheart she is. It was so nice to meet her in the UK and uh, it was great to spend time with her. And I'm glad you're going to see her again. And yep. There's only, really looking forward to that. There's one problem with going to Italy. And from what I understand, also meeting with Jenny, I don't know how she keeps her svelte figure, but you're going to come back 10 pounds heavier. There's no doubt about it. I wish it's only going to be 10. I'm expecting 15. <laughs> <laughs> Between the olive oil and the, the wine, you're going to be a uh, just a greasy drunk. That's all there is to it. And the food. Uh, my, my friend Deborah and her husband, Masi, are both really good cooks as well. We are going to feast like nobody's business. It's it's going to be great. You know, it seems all your friends have some kind of food and beverage business because <laughs> we had a marvelous time. They're we, the right people to have as friends. Yeah, had a, we had a marvelous time in Oxfordshire, the Greyhound Inn, with just wonderful meals and wonderful drinks and, and a new scotch that I one day will pronounce it, <laughs> learn how to pronounce yeah, that definitely had a difficult name. So tomorrow, uh, and what's the uh, what are the flights tomorrow? Are you leaving from LAX? No, going to leave from Burbank, flying from Burbank to San Francisco to Munich, and then I get to fly on a brand new airline for me, which is a Lufthansa Group airline called Air Dolomiti, and going to fly them to Florence. And my friends are going to pick me up in Florence, and we're going to drive to Siena, which I think is a little over an hour drive from Florence. And are you doing this in business or economy? Actually, it's going to be premium plus. Okay. So I will get to do a trip report on Premium Plus from San Francisco to uh, Munich. From what I could see on the United flights, it's other than the storage space, the seats don't look that particularly different other than they don't lie flat. They're really what I would describe as business class seats from 20 years ago. They probably don't recline as far as those seats, but they do have a leg rest. It's two, three, two configurations. So you don't have to worry about a middle seat unless if you're in the middle section, which is nice if you're a family traveling together. It's different food than you have in economy. The seat pitch is a little bit better. So it's just a little bit better in this cabin of 21 seats. So looking forward to seeing how they do from San Francisco. Let's go to Munich.
I can't wait to hear the trip report. And that'll be coming up in a few weeks when I get back. So in the meantime, Micah, thank you so much for a wonderful trip to England and helping me out with the show. It's great to be here. Great to catch up with you again. And from your main man here in Portland, Maine, signing out. Fly safely.